Greetings, this is podcast number 43 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today in the main segment, we'll focus on the tax cut just passed by Congress and explain how it illustrates so much of what's wrong with the right wing. We'll also listen to Bill O'Reilly unwittingly tell us why Fox News is not fair and balanced. Oh, let's get right into it. Two weeks ago, I discussed a poll where 60% of Americans said wealthy families don't pay enough in taxes. So what does Congress run out and do almost at the very same time? Since the right-wing greedmeisters are in control, you know what they did. Congress gave another huge whopper of a tax cut to the wealthy, especially to the super wealthy. In this segment, we'll first analyze the numbers to see who really benefits from this Bush tax cut. Then we'll explain how to debunk the right-wing propaganda defending this giveaway to the rich. Next, we'll listen to a great American show us how progressives should be talking about this and other economic justice issues. And finally, we'll close with a short evaluation of the prospects for change. My sources for this segment are articles that appeared in the New York Times and information and data from the Census Bureau and from the websites of the Berkshire Hathaway Company and the group United for a Fair Economy. So first, who benefits from the Bush tax cut? Quoting from David K. Johnson's story in the New York Times, the Tax Policy Center, a nonprofit venture of the Urban Institute and the Brookings Institution, two policy and research groups in Washington, estimated yesterday that 80% of the tax savings would flow to the top 10% of taxpayers, and that almost a fifth of the benefits would go to the top one-tenth of one percent. End of quote. The richest 10% of us get 80% of the benefit. Now, how much money is involved here? Get ready for a lot of zeros. Quote, The official estimate of the bill's cost was $69 billion. But this assumed that the tax breaks would be in place for only a year or two. If they were to continue for the next decade, which President Bush and his Republican supporters want, the cost would be more than 15 times as great, estimates by the Congressional Budget Office, an arm of Congress, showed. Close quote. That 10-year figure would be about a trillion dollars, a thousand billion dollars. If 80% of that is going to the top 10%, that means $800 billion in tax breaks for the richest 10% of Americans. I always bring up the U.S. Commerce Department statistic that the richest 10% of Americans own 70% of America's wealth. 
I always condemn the richest 10% of Americans for being greedy, for not being satisfied with 70%, for wanting more. Well, this tax cut proves it, since the richest 10% will get not 70% of the benefit, but 80%. In other words, this tax break isn't just maintaining the already horribly unequal and unsustainable status quo, it's making it worse. This tax cut will serve to increase their share of the nation's wealth above 70%. Let's look at these numbers another way, using dollars and cents. I think it's useful to look at this tax cut in various ways, because everyone out there listening now has their own way of grasping economic concepts and analyses. For those making forty to fifty thousand dollars a year, the average savings per taxpayer will be forty-seven dollars. Yes, you heard me right, forty-seven dollars. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, more than half of all American households earn less than fifty thousand dollars a year. So more than half of all Americans will average at most $47 from Bush's latest tax cuts. Less than a single tankful of gas. What if you make between fifty dollars and $75,000 a year? Oh, you'll do much better. The average savings in this income group will be $112. More than three-quarters of all Americans earn less than $75,000 per year. So three-quarters of all Americans essentially get, to use a technical economics professor type term, diddly squat from Bush's tax cut. But, as Gomer Pyle used to say, surprise, surprise, surprise. If you earn more than a million dollars a year, the average savings in your income group isn't $47 or $112, but, are you ready, $42,786. $42,786. per year for over half of all Americans, but almost $43,000 a year for millionaires and billionaires. That's fair, right? Millionaires and billionaires get 900 times the benefit from these latest Bush tax cuts as over half of all Americans. They get 400 times the benefit of fully three-quarters of all Americans. A half of all Americans, three-quarters of all Americans, whatever. You're all getting royally screwed. Even you non-wealthy, voting against your own economic interest right-wingers, listening to this. Let's now discuss how does the right counter this unpleasant truth about their tax cuts? The usual way, with lies and red-baiting. The lie involves a dishonest use of averages. Sean Hannity loves to do this. He'll repeat over and over and over again in each segment devoted to tax cuts that the 
average American is getting X amount of dollars. Well, last time I recall, the number he used was something like $1,083. The average American is getting $1,083 in tax cuts. Praise George Bush. No, let's not praise George Bush. If Bill Gates walks into a bar, the average income and net worth of everyone in the bar jumps into the stratosphere. Everyone in there is now on average, a multi-millionaire. Same with the tax cuts. As I showed earlier, three-quarters of Americans will average at most $112 a year. But if you lump them together with all those millionaires and billionaires getting $43,000 and more, well then the average of all Americans would be way above $112. Maybe even a number similar to the $1,083 figure that Hannity used in his propaganda efforts during the last round of tax cuts. But this average of all American figures is, as I've just explained, a bogus figure. It means nothing. The vast majority of Americans are getting nowhere near any average of all Americans figure. Now, if you're somehow able to get in a word edgewise and put directly in the right-winger's face in black and white that their tax cuts disproportionately favor the wealthy, if you call them on the numbers on their phony use of averages, the right will fall back on red-baiting. They'll charge that you're using class warfare arguments or even that you're actually fomenting class warfare. But pointing out the economic injustice of the Bush tax plan isn't conducting class warfare. The Bush tax plan itself is class warfare. A plan enabling the richest 10% or so of the population to aggrandize unto themselves even more of the nation's wealth than the 70% they already own at the expense of the middle and working class. That's class warfare with blood and guts, real-life consequences. I always think of this analogy. It's like when right-wing racists accused Martin Luther King Jr. of causing racial conflict when he marched against segregation. Of course, King's exposing and protesting against racial injustice was not causing racial conflict. The racial conflict was already underway in the form of the brutal oppression of the African-American population. The civil rights movement was defending against that racial warfare being conducted against it. Likewise, any class warfare that exists today is in the form of the right-wing assault on the financial integrity of the poor, working, and middle class, not by those who expose and condemn it. We progressives are defending against the economic warfare, the class warfare, being conducted against the majority of Americans by the right-wing Bush administration. Where are we in our discussion? So far, We've crunched the numbers and debunked some of the right's propaganda. 
Let's go on to illustrate how we should frame the issue. We progressives cannot accept the current paradigm where the political center has actually moved, maybe slithered is a better word, into right-wing territory. We must honestly and forthrightly discuss these economic justice issues. The concept of class warfare used to be openly discussed as part of democratic political offensives back when Democrats had cojones. I'm referring to none other than the times of FDR. Let's listen a bit to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's acceptance speech at the 1936 Democratic Convention to learn how it should be done. First, he unabashedly set forth what progressives understand is an important part of freedom, a part that the right, when they endlessly scream about freedom, never includes. An old English judge said once upon a time, necessitous men are not free men. Liberty requires opportunity to make a living, a living decent according to the standard of the time, a living which gives man not only enough to live by, but something to live for. Necessitous men are not free men. If you can't earn your daily bread, you're not free. Then Roosevelt described what had happened to the country. For too many of us, the political equality we once had won was meaningless in the face of economic inequality. A small group had concentrated into their own hands an almost complete control over other people's property, other people's money, other people's labor, other people's lives. For too many of us, for too many of us throughout the land, life was no longer free, liberty no longer real. Men could no longer follow the pursuit of happiness. Political equality is meaningless in the face of economic inequality. A small group concentrated into their own hands and almost complete control of other people's property, money, labor, and indeed their lives. Their liberty was no longer real. Does this not fit our current situation? But what major democratic figure alive today would dare say so? Then FDR pointed out what the right-wingers of his day were claiming. The royalists I have spoken of, the royalists of the economic order, have conceded that political freedom was the business of the government 
But they have maintained that economic slavery was nobody's business. They granted that the government could protect the citizen in his right to vote, but they denied that the government could do anything to protect the citizen in his right to work and his right to live. In other words, right-wingers then and still now incessantly bleat free markets, free markets, free markets. Government should stay out of the economic justice arena. Economic slavery is fine with right-wingers. But Roosevelt would have none of that. So he went on to unequivocally declare what the 1936 Democrats stood for. Today, today we stand committed to the proposition that freedom is no half and half affair. If the average citizen is guaranteed equal opportunity in the polling place, he must have equal opportunity in the marketplace. FDR minced no words. He put it all on the line as he continued on, exposing what the economic royalists, as he aptly calls them, were really all about. These economic royalists complain that we seek to overthrow the institutions of America. What they really complain of is that we seek to take away their power. Our allegiance and our allegiance to American institutions requires the overthrow of this kind of power. In vain, they seek to hide behind the flag and the Constitution. But in their blindness, they forget what the flag and the Constitution stand for. Now, now as always, for over a century and a half, the flag, the Constitution, stand against a dictatorship by mob rule and the overprivileged alike. Roosevelt literally says that core American values require that we take away the power of the economic royalists, that we overthrow what is, in effect, a dictatorship by the overprivileged.
It may not be easy to do so, but please remember, this was not some loony left Democratic congressman speaking, or even some loony left Jack Clark. This was the sitting President of the United States speaking. Could you imagine, in even your wildest dreams, any mainstream Democratic candidate for President today speaking even one-tenth as honestly as this? Roosevelt, of course, was himself wealthy. He was condemned as a traitor to his class. Let's fast forward to 2004 to another traitor to his class. Warren Buffett is that rare billionaire who wants millionaires and billionaires to pay their fair share. He's like Roosevelt in that regard. Buffett opposed Bush's tax cuts because they primarily benefited the wealthy. He served as an economic advisor to candidate John Kerry in 2004. Early that year, he put it all quite succinctly. He'd heard right-wing claims that the Democrats were guilty of class warfare. Buffett replied as follows, not as a boast, but as a lament. Quote, if class warfare is being waged in America, my class is clearly winning. Close quote. Yes, his class is clearly winning under the Bushians, and the American public has taken notice. So let's go on to the final part of this segment, Prospects for Change. Besides the poll I mentioned earlier that found 60% of Americans feel the wealthy don't pay enough in taxes, another recent survey asked the question, regardless of how you usually vote, do you think the Republican Party or the Democratic Party is more likely to make sure the tax system is fair? Only 27% thought the Republicans would. But fully 55% thought the Democrats were more likely to make sure that the tax system was fair. Personally, I'm not sure that the Democrats, in their current Republican light incarnation, would make the tax system totally fair. But I do believe they'll make it less unfair than the Republicans. My sentiment is perhaps reflected in the 8% of those polled who said neither party is likely to make sure the tax system is totally fair. One thing, though, is for certain. In the continued greedy hands of the right wing, the tax system will become more unfair. The misery and suffering of more and more Americans will increase as well and that's something we progressives have a moral duty to prevent. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. This is an impressive crowd, the haves and the have-mores. Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. If you gave them the old 
razzle-dazzled, you razzle-dazzled them. You gave them an act with lots of flash in it, made them believe you were compassionate, gave them the... To close today, I thought you'd all get a kick out of this real short O'Reilly clip. He's reading listener mail. Someone had written in about O'Reilly's being unhappy that legendary Latina activist Dolores Huerta was speaking at a school with no one to challenge her because she preaches hate speech. Joshua Zatkoff, Waltham, Massachusetts. O'Reilly, you don't want Miss Huerta at the Tucson school because of her hate speech, but then you have Ann Coulter on the factor. Never said I wanted Miss Huerta banished, sir. Just said I wanted balance on the program. Is that unreasonable? Which is what we have when Miss Coulter is here. I challenge her. Yep. One right wing fanatic is good balance for an even more extreme right wing fanatic. That's what passes for balance on Fox News. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard and think it deserves wider circulation, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. There's an easy one-click send to this page to a friend link on the podcast homepage. Don't forget to vote for Blast the Right on podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do that also on the podcast homepage. Special shout-out to all you Live 365 listeners. Come over to the podcast homepage. Subscribe for free, and you can download and listen to any episode of Blast the Right anytime you want. Also, on the podcast homepage... There's a link to a progressive podcast directory. Find some other great podcasts to listen to. Thanks to the Miller Center at the University of Virginia for the FDR clips. Music credits. Bumper music was You Razzle Dazzled em by BillJacobs.us. We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. All your email is getting better and better. Keep it coming in. Comments can be sent to rational at adelphia.net. You can also leave comments for me to play on Blast the Right by dialing 310-933-5891 and leaving your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. I want everyone to have a safe and enjoyable Memorial Day weekend. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer more than there had ever been before but every day we're drowning deeper in debt maybe four years should be all you get then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires and you tried to make the working man pay but you can't tax a man when his job's not there now look at where we are Treating my stars and stripes